1: I'm Ben Rhodes, and you're listening to Crooked Conversations. I wrote a book and recently published a book called The World As It Is about the Obama White House. And with this series, we're taking a deeper dive on some of the issues and themes and stories that come up in my book. And I've been joined by some of the people who were there with me throughout the eight years in the Obama White House. And over the course of these episodes, we've heard about what it was like to write speeches for President Obama. We've looked at the Russian intervention in the 2016 election. We've talked about the U.S. negotiations with Cuba and President Obama's trip to Havana in 2016. Today on the show, I'm talking to Tommy Vitor, uh, who was my wingman in the White House, my uh, deputy for a number of years when he was spokesperson for the National Security Council, uh, before he was uh, saving the world through his podcast. Uh, And today we're going to talk about Benghazi. All right. So, Tommy, thanks for joining me to relive one of the most <laughs> enjoyable parts of our job. Um, uh. So I, I wanted to, to look at Benghazi and, and just to, to situate the listener, whether you're, you know, a regular listener to Crooked or a troll who's tuning in mm. just for this episode. Hello, Ben Bureau. You were the N- NSC spokesperson. Yep. I was the deputy national security advisor at this time. I'm actually going to start with a story, I, I think, that it was illuminating to me because I'll be working backwards from it, which is, I was working on my book, uh-huh. and I went out to West Virginia, and and this is actually going to become one of those meeting a Trump voter in West uh-huh. Virginia stories, <laughs> Good um, and I was there in the middle of winter, so I'm staying at this, like, bed and breakfast, it's, like, kind of drafty, and I'm the only one there in this huge house, and there's a woman cooking breakfast, and I go on I'm talking to her, and she's trying to talk politics, I'm trying to avoid it, she's clearly a Trump supporter, she's mm. talking about illegal immigration. And then the conversation, she's a very nice woman, by the way, takes a turn where she starts to talk about how she's been doing a lot of research the last year. She had voted for Obama in 2012, but she's been studying things. And first she said she saw a documentary about how George Soros is the devil. Oh, my God. Um, then uh, she said, and Benghazi. And like something kind of almost changed in her tone of voice about Benghazi. Then she says to me, and do you know about the deep state? You know? Oh, my God. And I wanted to say, well, I'm actually running it <laughs> from a mountain here in West Virginia. <laughs> from a fight phone. Um, but, you know, I did something really interesting. I, I didn't. She didn't know who I was. So I was like, well, why don't we sit down and talk about Benghazi? Yeah. You know, uh, tell me what you think happened. Right. And so we go in the other room and we sit down and she just kind of starts going off about how Hillary lied about it and everybody lied about it. And I, I felt compelled to tell her, you know, you're not going to like me when you figure out who I am. And she's like, no, no, you seem so nice. And and then what was weird is I, I started to try to explain what we'll go through, which is what actually happened that mm-hmm. week and why we said the things that we did. But then I also said, "What do you think was being covered up?" And she couldn't, in you know 20 minutes, say what it was. You know, what, what is at the core of Benghazi?" you know And finally, at the end, she said, "Well, I guess if something terrible didn't happen, why were there people on Fox who were saying?" that it did. I mean, she, and she it was actually a very honest statement, yeah. you know. So, again, I think we can't uh, diminish the impact this had on our politics. This is yeah. the Trump-Obama voter. This is someone who, you know, says Benghazi is kind of what set her off. Um, and so I want to go all the way back to the beginning, uh, September eleventh, two 2012, and try to work through, as I do in the book, like what actually happened that day, that week. Mm-hmm. And then, ha- uh, you know, we don't have to go through the whole... <laughs> Investigation that followed. Um, what do you remember about when when you first learned about the violent protest in in Egypt? And everybody forgets that that happened in Cairo before mm-hmm. Benghazi.
0: What I remember is there were a couple of like strains of concern we had. One, the Innocence of Muslims video had come out, and yeah. there were protests all over the Middle East. Yeah, and then on top of that, there was the anniversary of the nine eleven attacks, yeah. and so there was. It wasn't just something we were thinking about. It was like Dennis, or I think it was Dennis at the time, ran this huge process of like deputies committee meeting after deputies committee meeting to make sure we were adequately prepared.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Mostly in the homeland for an attack uh, on that anniversary. And I remember waking up that morning and I went to work super early and I was sitting at my desk and it was just like crickets to the point where I went out for lunch for the first time In like two years, I went to a food truck that was in that little like park area. Yeah, it was a beautiful day. I met a friend. We got some food, and uh, I remember thinking, "Man, like shockingly quiet today." And then I went back and got to my desk, and we first got um, you know those reports of what had happened, And, and then it sort of unraveled from there. So, you know, the 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 protests and the violence around the protests were in the back of our heads every minute of every day, because I think we were so worried about our personnel in any country. I mean, there was a a protest in Australia.
1: Yeah. Australia. And (laughs) and and you're right. Before we get to Australia, um, you know, we had actually, it wasn't unusual that we would have uh, that type of process to get ready for September 11th anniversary. Yeah, And I remember we even put out a statement saying, you know, what we were doing, how the president was briefed on this. And so I remember that afternoon of the 11th, we start hearing that the protests are building at our embassy in Cairo. Yeah. And then, like, it was one of these situations where there's already a, a group of angry people and then, like, some soccer game ended and, like, some mob mm-hmm. of angry Egyptians came and they per- penetrated the the compound. So they didn't get all the way inside the embassy, but they got inside kind of the secure area. Mm-hmm. And we're having pop-up meetings about this. And this Innocence of Muslims video is is what people were protesting totally and to the point that the embassy in Cairo member put out that statement mm-hmm. that ended up being seized on by the right, which we'll get to. But saying you know we have this condemning this video and and I remember watching the video. Do you, did you actually watch it? Um, it
0: was it was laughably ridiculous yeah. production
1: quality. It looked like a bad Cinemax knockoff. Yeah. It was like the Prophet Muhammad in some la house like right with like scantily clad women or something yeah um but what had happened is they ran that video some egyptian got it and ran it on an egyptian clip on egyptian television mm-hmm. to kind of stir everybody up yep and so then later that evening as we're dealing with the cairo one we start to get these reports about benghazi mm-hmm. and what was strange was that in cairo you know you have national international media we have a huge embassy so we could kind of know exactly what was happening. We had no eyes into Benghazi, no. um, and so I remember getting these kind of secondhand, you know, reports. Somebody called somebody. Uh, Chris Stevens' phone, cell phone, our ambassador member. Somebody uh, picked somebody it up picked and it dialed up and it. Yeah. Dialed it, and and um, ultimately getting this like terrible news that night. Initially, that the two people had died: mm-hmm. and Chris Stevens and and one other American. We the other two would obviously die later that night. And we had to do a statement that came from Hillary that night. Mm -hmm.
0: Today, we bring home four Americans who gave their lives for our country and our values. To the families of our fallen colleagues, I offer our most heartfelt condolences and deepest gratitude.
1: I mean, I guess one of the things it's worth revisiting is like, what do you do if you're speaking for the US government, and you have this, and I try to break down this in the book, like, you have several obligations in a situation like that, you have to announce the news that this tragedy has happened. You have to obviously condemn the uh, attack, the violence that killed the Americans. But you also have all these embassies around the world who are worried about the video mm-hmm. who want you to then say that the video doesn't speak for america and yeah. we uh, stand for religious you know tolerance so what do you remember kind of the that dynamic of we're, we're responding and to multiple things at once and trying to yeah. convey multiple messages at once
0: oh absolutely i mean i think um the other sort of the irrelevant i think it's relevant that it was friday too and we should remind people that there friday prayers is a big event in a lot of these muslim countries and if you have uh, a cleric and imam who, who spins people up and would demagogue this. Like, yeah. that was a, a huge concern that it could be an inflection point and it could lead to more people being upset. And so when the violence started happening in Cairo, I mean, I remember going to that meeting and I never heard anybody talk about how this statement could be interpreted in the elections or politically. I mean, everyone was only worried yeah. about the individuals working for us abroad. That was the whole thing. And you are just you are stuck calling the local authorities and asking them for support to back up your guys uh, because basically what these embassies had, what, like 50 Marines whose yeah. mission is to protect classified information. It was not to, um, not to really provide defense of the yeah. embassy itself.
1: And Benghazi had none of that because no, it wasn't right. an embassy. It right. was just right. kind of outpost. And so, yeah, so we have this crazy week where the, Benghazi, the attack is on a Tuesday then over the course of the week, the protests build to that Friday, yeah. where you have Friday prayers. And there are literally, you know, I remember people were killed in, not Americans, but in the protest in Tunisia. I mean, you and I remember sitting in our office on that Friday watching the news, and the evening news. And it was like watching the Middle East fall apart. Yeah. There's people torching like a Hardee's in Lebanon. There's people like running over the barricades in Khartoum. The, as you said, like yeah. the, in Australia and like France, their protests. Uh, and so... Wasn't there
0: a Time Magazine cover that was like the Muslim world is burning or yeah, something yeah. Like, really alarmist?
1: And this is really important because I, to this day, you know, it's funny on this book tour, I, you know, I did a radio show in uh, Missouri. And all these callers were like, you know, you made up this video. I mean, there was, it's amazing to me how much this has been kind of taken as received wisdom on the right. And even bleeding into kind of mainstream views that we had somehow invented this video when, in fact, the whole world was burning because of this video.
0: Including in Benghazi. Like, there may have been bad guys there who are links to terrorist groups. But... I remember David Kirkpatrick, a reporter yeah. from the New York Times, yeah. interviewed people who were there, who said, we were there because of the video. Yeah. The, the Reuters had people on the record saying that. I remember talking to, um, who was the NCTC guy at the time? Matt Olson. Yeah. He said that we had open source intercepts and other intelligence indicating that individuals there because of the video. Like that was the consensus opinion.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the guy who was actually arrested, Abu Qatala, mm-hmm. who is a terrorist, said that he was there for the video, you know. Uh, You know, what was so so strange about how this debate played out, and we'll get back to the TikTok here, but is that it can be both. It can be a terrorist attack, and it can be the fact that people showed up there pissed off about this video, right? Um, And and I never quite understood why those two things were mutually exclusive. Um, Because, you know, the original theory of the intelligence community that and we'll get to Susan Rice's Sunday show appearance, was that the Cairo protests, which were because of the video, were playing on television, on Al Jazeera, all over the Middle East, people watching this, right? And their theory was that people sitting in Benghazi saw these violent protests in other places, and were like, oh, now's the time to go down to the American Mm -hmm. facility, and and some of them may have gone to engage in violence, to commit a terrorist attack. Some of them may have just gone to protest. Some of them may have gone to... Loot, because actually that's part of what ended up happening, and so the the I never quite well I understand that people politicize this, but the the two things are not separate. Right. Um, the motivation of someone who commits a terrorist attack can be that you know they saw an opportunity either because of the video itself or because of the other protests about the video. Yeah.
0: Um, And didn't Benghazi get Cairo TV? Yes. I think they're watching some of the same propaganda.
1: Exactly, because their neighbor took, you know, Egypt is on Libya's border. Mm -hmm. Benghazi is right on, you know, close to that border because it's in eastern Libya. So what I then remember is, and this is important because it becomes the heart of the conspiracy theory, or one of the conspiracy theories, is that Friday, Paul Murray calls me up to, and I think you were probably there, the press secretary's office. And, you know, you walk in and they're all standing there like, you know, they have bad news to deliver. And Dag Vega is there and saying, and for those who don't know the household name, um, <laughs> Dag is uh, the guy who was responsible for booking people on television for the administration. And the Sunday shows were all asking for a guest. Yep. Um, and we hated Sunday shows because nobody liked to do them uh, yeah. on the national security team.
0: Nothing good comes from them.
1: For a pretty good reason, right? Nothing good comes of them, as we're about to learn. And But Jen's case was, which I couldn't really argue with, is... The, not only is there this tragic attack that happened earlier this week, but the world is on fire. And yep. we have to look like, you know, we're not hiding. Um, and that we're out there explaining what we're doing to protect Americans. It's actually, I agreed with her.
0: And you know what else? Netanyahu. BB was on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And BB was going to be on and it was two months for the election and he's like all in with Romney. And so we also knew that BB was probably going to trash us or trash our Iran policy. And so yeah. we also needed to get our Iran message out. So they asked me to find someone and ask me to reach out to Hillary. <laughs> I think you were on the email that I sent to Philippe. Yeah, I was. Um, Philippe Rain- Reines, who is like her comms guy, saying, hey, uh, it would be great if Secretary Clinton could do this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and did not get a response. Were you particularly surprised we did not get a response?
0: No, I was not. And I think later he, he was like, Guy, the times you've asked us to do Sunday shows or TV is one was because... David Gregory changed the furniture on the set of meet the press. And the other was like horrible disasters. Yeah, it's yeah, like she yeah. hates doing she them. She doesn't
1: like doing terrible disasters. Yeah. And so then, uh, and I should add, by the way, this is a hard week because like I, I knew Chris Stevens, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it, you know, the, the tragedy of losing him. And then these other Americans, you know, the worst news you can get in government is that you've lost people overseas. And, Coupled with the sense that Libya, where we'd intervened, you know, that we clearly were going to be set back in our ability to have a presence there, um, so this is all weighing on us too. The next person I went to was Tom,
0: National Security Advisor.
1: Yes, Tom Donilon, the National Security Advisor. And Tommy, were you surprised that Tom did not want to do the Sunday shows?
0: Tom, in his infinite wisdom, yeah, almost never spoke to the press because he saw that nothing good came of it, uh, and he left us out of the office.
1: Yeah, he did. Um, Sunday shows once in the years that he was national Security Advisor, it was a tough weekend to be out. It was the weekend after we killed Osama bin Laden. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. So that was his view. <laughs> yeah. So then I remember I called Susan and Susan Rice, who was then UN ambassador, and she said kind of like, are you, are you kidding me? You know? uh, and I said, no, we need you know uh, to obviously talk about what we're doing to secure our diplomats to honor the memory of Chris Stevens. BB's going to be out. And so she said, sure, if you guys can help put together my prep. And so then one of the things that I want to try to explain to people is to those who think that Susan's Sunday show appearances were some type of diabolical launching of a conspiracy theory to blame the video, we've already talked a little bit about the, the substance of that, but the process of putting together a prep package for a principal on a Sunday show is like the most mundane part of our jobs. It's right? the and, last
0: thing you want to do. You do it in yeah. 20 minutes on a Friday afternoon at 8 p.m. Yeah.
1: That's <laughs> exactly what happened. So and, and I wanted people to understand like what so what goes into this? And we'll get to the intelligence talking points, but describe the package that you would put together for Jay Carney, uh, the White House press secretary, right? It's just Q's and A's. Yeah. And, uh, yeah.
0: Some some core talking points like these are the things we'd love to drive today. Here's eight questions that we may get and propose answers. Here's some background clips. Best of luck.
1: Yeah. And so I had to do this. I remember, you know, on the Friday at eight o'clock, yeah, I had to cut and paste all these Q's and A's together. Uh, one of the things that became a big talking point on the right is that we had in those that package, like this is not a failure of policy, U.S. policy, which always bothered me a lot because it suggested that I was politicizing this, when in fact Jay Carney was being asked every day uh, in the briefing yeah. room. Is this a failure of policy, right, right? right? So you put that in there, be, you anticipate the questions are going to get asked. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I put this all together. I send it up to Susan's person, Aaron Pelton. Then similarly, so that's, if that's point one in the conspiracy theory, it was actually like a cutting and pasting of a document. Mm-hmm. Um, point two in the conspiracy theory, I guess, would be her prep call, which was on a Saturday afternoon. Also, not exactly the favorite part of our jobs. The worst. I remember you know, trying to catch up with my wife who I'd barely seen in months because it was a crazy summer. And I was in a parking lot at Calvert Calvert Woodley Liquor Store <laughs> <laughs> um, on the phone, this prep call, Susan. I remember we get on the call. The campaign actually calls in because Dag had actually always sent around the sun. And we had to tell them before Susan could get on, hey, you guys can't be on yeah, this. as a national security official, right? So didn't even let the political people on. And then, you know, you talked to Susan, and I remember we didn't even talk about her Benghazi answers because we were going to get these talking points from the Intelligence Committee, mm-hmm. which we'll get to in a second. We talked about the BB, what BB was likely to say. We talked about here's all the things we're doing to protect our diplomats around the world. I don't, you know, we, we were going to defer to these Intelligence community talking points for how she'd answer those questions. Now that, on that one, You, I think, were in the deputies meeting that day, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, every morning, I think it was at 7 a.m., we had deputies meeting to check in on the security situation and to get an update on the intelligence and like what the the latest was on what we thought had happened. And remember, the, the, the round one of what the conspiracy theory was, and there were like 30 rounds, was that, of course, this attack was... Uh, happened because it was on the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks and it was premeditated uh, and deliberate and all these things and what we kept responding was we have no intelligence we have no intelligence indicating that this horrible attack killing four americans was pegged to the anniversary and everyone just couldn't believe that we they thought we were lying or hiding something but to this day there's no intelligence indicating that was the case
1: Dog food companies claim claim to use all natural ingredients. But what kind of beef or carrots can sit on a shelf for years? Never thought of that. We cannot eat highly processed food every meal and be healthy. And neither can your dog. And you love your dog. And you want your dog to be healthy and happy. Well, the healthiest food for your dog is real, fresh, unprocessed food, just like you would want to eat. So we're introducing The Farmer's Dog, the company helping dogs live longer and healthier lives with fresh, ready-to-serve meals directly to your door. Clever marketing has convinced pet owners to feed unhealthy and highly processed kibble, but The Farmer's Dog is different and not just because this marketing is clever. Complete a short questionnaire and a vet-developed meal plan is created just for your dog. Food arrives at your door in pre-portioned packs, ready to open and pour. It is easy, and it looks and smells like real food, because it is real food. And food matters. Studies show that even adding fresh food to your dog's diet can reduce cancer risks by 90%. Start feeding your dog better today. Get 50% off your two-week trial of fresh, healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash convos. TheFarmersDog.com slash Crooked Plus, you get free shipping. Just go to theFarmersDog.com slash Crooked to get 50% off your first two weeks. That's theFarmersDog.com slash Crooked Yeah, and, and actually, one important thing that might help people understand is like, what is it like if you're NSC spokesperson and you're, you're trying to arrive at the talking points that people are using in public. Describe what it's like to have to deal with, you've got the FBI with their investigation, mm-hmm. you've got the CIA with their intelligence, you got the State Department, where they're answering questions like, how do you corral all those different agencies into some consensus? Oh,
0: it's impossible. I mean, the only... Luckily, when something it rises to that level uh, and, like, the deputies of the various agencies, or so the deputy CIA director, the deputy secretary of state, et cetera, are all meeting together, they're kind of forced to hash it out in the room and come to some agreement. But otherwise, you're just doing massive conference calls with, like, 16 uh, press people and coordinating yeah. these emails. And it's, like, it is the most frustrating mundane process but what really happens is any relevant information gets sanded down and removed until you're saying essentially nothing yeah
1: yeah and and this is also important because again the presumption that we concocted a big conspiracy theory to hang this all on this video we've already talked about why the video was clearly front and center our minds because it's actually prompting all this violence Second, we would have had to somehow get all those other people on board. You know, yeah. it, like the, the 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 entire U.S. government would have had to be in this because what happened is in that deputies meeting, again, which is the deputy officials from state defense, the White House, CIA, deputy director of the CIA, Mike Morrell says, you know, I'll, I'll send over some talking points that you guys can right. use. Uh, he understood that there had been some back and forth that what do we say about Benghazi because interestingly, the... The FBI never wants you to say anything because they always want to say there's an investigation. The State Department feels they need to say something because they're, in fairness to them, being asked a million questions because mm-hmm. they actually brief the press every day. And then the intelligence community has to give us their assessment of, like, what we can say about what happened. Right. So Morell sends over their judgment, which is basically what – in which we took and popped into Susan's package, right? And those,
0: in that language, doubled as what uh, the Ledge Affairs people were allowed to say to the House committees yeah. and Senate committees, right? And so we're was, trying to communicate with everybody.
1: And there was an enormous irony in all this, which is that the talking points were actually requested by for use by the Republican mem- uh, uh, chairman of the yeah. House Intelligence Committee. He's like, I'm going on a Sunday show. I yeah. want to know <laughs> That's what to right. say, right? That's right. That's so right. Th- these actually were talking points that were produced to use by Susan Rice and Produced to use uh, for the With fucking the Republican Mike Rogers chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. So we get these. We just we, we send them over to Susan, and that's what she says. And what they basically said were, we believe that there were protests in Benghazi that emerged because people saw the protests in Cairo. So that's the link to the video, and uh, obviously it became violent, tragically killed uh, Americans. To this day, to your point. That might actually be true. (laughs) Um, I mean, the only thing that – and the only assessment that ended up changing was whether or not there was a protest or not. Spontaneous, Um, yeah. Spontaneous protest or not, whether it was kind of pre-planned, premeditated violence or whether there was some spontaneous protest. Which
0: which a spontaneous peaceful protest that sort of boiled over into an attack, which that was what we were told initially, and that proved to be wrong, I
1: think. Yeah, that's the piece that they amended. Um, So this whole thing hangs on whether or not there was a spontaneous protest, which – had actually been reported by, like, news organizations at the time who thought there was a protest. Who at, were form, there. Who were there. So so then, you know, as the assessment firms up, it becomes more in the direction of there were some extremist elements who were present, you know, there was potentially pre-planning, but the pre-planning could have been essentially they had a plan on the shelf to attack Americans, and they mm-hmm. were opportunistic, and were like, this is the time. But you know they're seeing this happening in Cairo, and yeah. uh, uh, let's go do this. And there
0: were indications, by the way, that that um, that back up the claim that this is something that developed over time. That wasn't like they didn't they didn't yeah. bring their they didn't bring all their people and their best weaponry. No, that came later to the facility yeah. immediately. They waited eight hours before bringing mortar fire, yeah. which is the most deadly uh, weapon they had, and which ended up t- killing Glenn Doherty and Tyrone Woods, yeah. uh, who were bravely fighting back from the roof of the CIA facility.
1: Yeah. Well, Jake, first of all, uh, it's important to know that there's an FBI investigation
0: that has begun and will take some time to be completed. That will tell us uh, with certainty what transpired. But our current best assessment, uh, based on the information that we have at, at present, is that in fact what this began as was a spontaneous not a premeditated uh... response to what had transpired in cairo in cairo as you know a few hours earlier uh... there was a violent protest that was uh, undertaken in reaction to this uh, very offensive video that was disseminated
1: yeah and so one of the strangest things about this whole uh, aspect is what what susan actually said is, is not that at most what was wrong is the spontaneity of the protest. Yeah. Um, but you would think now, if you were that woman I met in West Virginia, you would think that we invented like everything, like the video didn't exist, that that, that this was Al Qaeda, you know, attacking our facility, totally independent of the video or anything else because it was the anniversary of the 9-11 tax. It's very important for people to understand, like that is actually not, what people believe happened. They believe yeah. that it was kind of a blend of all this stuff, right? Yeah. And this is the reporting you cite from David Kirkpatrick. Some of the people who went down there just showed up, were there because they were angry about the video or they heard that the, that the American facility is being attacked and they're gonna go down there and loot. Mm-hmm. You and I end up watching the surveillance uh, footage that night. There's like dozens of guys wandering around the compound and jeans, and they're stealing Xboxes. Some and,
0: dude you know. picks up some fucking Hershey syrup and is yeah. like squirting it in
1: his mouth. Like yeah. These are not It was not Osama bin Laden. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then what happens? Immediately, you know, the Republicans had, had already... Romney had gone out the day after the Benghazi attack and put out this weird statement attacking our embassy in Cairo yes. for talking about the video. Before the Benghazi attacks even happened, so yeah. let's be clear, they were right. already... Politicizing this, when there was just a violent protest in Cairo, they were already politicizing that response right mm-hmm. before the Benghazi attack was even complete. Before yeah, people the, are still the, at risk. Yeah, yeah, people are still at risk, and so they they kind of made a decision to politicize this. I wonder if you could just because you were the tip of the spear and that you took more incoming press than I did in those days. that following Susan's appearances, like what is your recollection of how the kind of uh, hysteria meter dialed up on the right in the kinds of inquiries you were getting.
0: The hysteria meter was, it was one of those times when the press requests that were coming in were so crazy that it was almost hard to figure out how to rebut them. Like there was a report. This woman, Catherine Harrods at Fox news published a whole series of horrible Totally factually inaccurate, never truly fixed reports. There's a report that um, there was a drone feed over oh, yeah, yeah. the consulate the whole time and that Obama was watching as they were killed. Uh, there was, you know, the reports that uh, the CIA, you know, troops were ready to go and they were told to stand down because Washington wanted to weigh in because of the politics of it all. Um, there were, you know, there were so many, the, the worst faith decision making was assumed in almost everything like oh there were there were jets flying over the the uh, Benghazi that night and they just were told not to do anything like and all of these things can be rebutted by basic facts like geography yeah. you know like people don't realize how far away Benghazi yeah. is from say Italy where the closest uh airbase was
1: yeah yeah and you know what i remember is that it started with these strange you know, things about what we could have done. Yeah. So, you know, Benghazi, we had no military presence to speak of. Tripoli, even we had a pretty scale back embassy. Mm-hmm. There were military assets in Europe that we did order deployed into Libya. Yeah. But it's not like we had the capacity to hit a button and 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 fix this. Those and, guys going but,
0: sleep in the cockpit, fully kitted up.
1: And and just to, to the to your your point, you made the bad faith element of this. It literally presumed that while the attack was underway, we were worried that the attack was going to make Obama look bad and so made up a story about a video and told the military to stand down. I mean, if and right. this is my point about like, what is the actual theory? If you actually entertain the theory, it's, it's sick. It's crazy. It's like that we were sitting there, not worried about our people, but thinking like, this might hurt us in the election, so let's make up a story about a video and tell the troops to stand down. I mean, that is yeah. so absurd. And to this day, I, you know, I did a show the other day where someone called in and was like, where was Obama those eight hours? It's like the Watergate tapes. And yeah. we're not hiding anything. Like, he was asleep. Like, yeah. I, and, he's a, and I, I, he's a human being. And, and again, like that may sound, but the, the president doesn't stay up all night monitoring a feed like you said there there's no feed we couldn't see what was happening he'd given all the orders like he he'd given orders to secretary of defense and the chairman of the joint chiefs to provide whatever support they could he talked to Hillary Clinton about beefing up mm-hmm. security at, at facilities he'd gotten briefed and he went to bed like so yeah th- they, and they 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 know that in a way so they're trying to to find some some malevolent you know activity that was taking place in the white house when in fact we were just doing what we would normally do.
0: Yeah, I mean, you and I were in meetings in the Situation Room until about 10 at night. And I remember one of them, uh, it was being chaired by Cheryl Mills, I think, who was Hillary's chief of staff. And all of a sudden, the door opened to the the State Department uh, version of the Situation Room. And Hillary walked in, and she kicked Carol out started yeah. chairing the meeting herself. Yeah. So there was very high-level engagement on this. People were really concerned. Uh, and I think you and I probably left the office at like 1030. We both probably got back in it six yeah. i think when there were things to update obama on he was briefed yeah but there was a very little flow of information coming out of benghazi for a while there was a lot of confusion actually and like that's not atypical that's actually very standard in the fog of war in a fast-moving event in a faraway place that, like it takes you a while to figure shit out including yeah. during the bin laden operation
1: yeah yeah well yeah it took days to, in that case and and the um uh, you know the other thing, and, and I explain like in the, in the book this process of the the mushrooming theories about this. And one of the things that was interesting for me is and I tell a story. We had debate preparation for Obama's next debate, mm-hmm. and he was on a news blackout. Like he didn't like to consume uh, cable news and stuff like that because you know it would get in your head. And he's trying to run for president and be president. And so I had to tell him these theories, and he thought he was like, "This is crazy. This is like some real tin hat stuff," is what he said to me. I'm like, "No, they actually believe you issued a stand down order," and he couldn't kind of get his mind around the notion that people would actually like, you know, believe that. Yep. It then took another weird turn where there started to be these theories about what we were doing in Benghazi. Right. Remember, like we were running guns, running
0: guns. It was arms, a big covert action program to get into Syria. Like there were all these. Frequently reported, rarely corrected, totally unfounded theories about our presence there. Yeah, yeah. And the other theory that, like, the Republicans were articulating was uh, that we were worried that our narrative was that al-Qaeda was on the run and we were defeating them and somehow an attack in Benghazi changes that. And I just, I never understood how someone could, I I know the Republicans didn't in good faith believe that, they were just saying whatever they could say. Yeah. But I don't understand how a journalist could really believe that... um, that people were going to the elections, going to the polls, voting based on security in in Libya. That just is not my experience.
1: Yeah, that that would be somehow the 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 front center concern that we would have. Um, you know, if anything, what we were concerned about was that the Middle East in general was unraveling. Um, it wasn't the terrorism narrative. It yeah. was the reality that this was a part of a broader. Uh, you, you know, tipping point that was taking place where, you know, the Arab Spring was turning sour. You yeah, know. It's interesting, what the failure of policy point that I made before, where they all said, jumped on, isn't this a failure of your policy? You know, we had that q- Q&A in Susan's prep. The policy, actually, that I thought was most associated with Benghazi was our Libya policy, mm-hmm. not our terrorism policy, you know, that we had in- intervened in Libya. Yeah. Uh, to save the city of Benghazi from Gaddafi's uh, forces. And here we were a year plus later, you know, having this horrific event happen there. So then the question becomes, here we have this event. It's a tragedy. It's the kind of thing that, you know, should raise very legitimate questions about, like, how do we secure our diplomatic facilities around the world? How big should our diplomatic presence be in Libya? in any attack like this there's some evolution of what the intelligence community knows about it we consistently provide that information to people how do you why do you think this became what it became like wh- why this one like why because let's face it there were there were other tragedies that took place while we we're in office or other terrorist attacks that took place around the world while we we're in office like what is it about i mean i've always thought that it might be because it happened right at the end of the election right mm-hmm. Uh, the combination of the fact that it happened in, in, in a political environment, and so everybody jumped on, on it and politicized it, coupled with the fact that Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, so she was attached to it. But why do you think this became this this hyper-focus for the right for the next Five years.
0: Um, I've thought about this a lot, too. I mean, I think you're exactly right that uh, the first wave of conspiracy theories and oversight and attacks was all based on the 2012 election. Um, I think it persisted once they all realized that Hillary Clinton was the front runner and was going to be the next nominee. Yeah. I mean, in a rational world, in 1983, the, the U.S. Embassy in Beirut was bombed and it killed 63 people, including 17 Americans. Um and it was the deadliest attack on a diplomatic post at that time. And the response was nowhere near this politicized. Like people came together, they tried to fix it. We at the White House ran a whole series of meetings that were designed to be about embassy security. Uh, and that process was never mirrored on the hill yeah in fact they actually cut funding for embassy security yeah. over time yeah and
1: just showing how disingenuous that talking point was right?
0: exactly yeah. and then the broader conversation and the attacks from them and the focus became these talking points yeah. which like who fucking cares what the talking points are yeah. they were some parts were wrong and they were corrected but that the press um, The way the press seized on it and let that drive the discussion in such a distorted way, I think, was a harbinger for the future email debate during the 2016 campaign. And ironically, Hillary Clinton's private server, we know about because of the Benghazi Benghazi Yeah.
1: If you're listening to podcasts, which you are, if you hear me right now, you are probably an inherently curious person. You like finding the connections between things and exploring new ideas. Well, Lumosity was built for people like you. Lumosity is the world's most popular brain training program because it's a fun way to train your brain with games created by scientists and designers. Sign up for Lumosity and take the free 10-minute fit test to get your baseline scores on three games and to see how you compare to others your age. With Lumosity Premium, they will even design a personalized training program from their 60 plus cognitive games and activities to challenge your key abilities like memory, speed, and problem solving. They give you plenty of high fives along the way. We all need that encouragement in life. And you can challenge a balanced set of skills or isolate one skill that you want to focus on Lumosity's brain training is built on a foundation of research and expertise to help you feel confident about your mental abilities. How many things can do that for you? Well, Lumosity is one of them. Get started today. Go to lumosity.com Crooked to sign up for the free fit test plus a 30% discount off Lumosity Premium. That is something that would be using your brain. To sign up for. It is spelled L-U-M-O-S-I-T-Y, lumosity.com slash convos to take your free fit test and get 30% off Lumosity Premium. Lumosity.com slash convos. Check it out.
0: For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in. Like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I so I traced this evolution in the book, which goes beyond this initial time frame where, you know, it, it didn't go away and it kept growing. And then it would kind of disappear for a time. Mm-hmm. But I described, like, when it would disappear, I could tell it was growing in kind of right-wing, you know, on Infowars and, and Breitbart and kind of the, even the non-Fox piece of the right-wing media because I look at my White House Twitter account on a particular day, and usually I get like a few dozen people tweeting at me. There'd telling be like several hundred, if not thousand people, you know, freaking out, you know, all saying the same thing, hysterical, like you're a Muslim Brotherhood plant or you let Americans die intentionally. Mm-hmm. or. And I could tell that somewhere in America, like a talk radio segment had aired or like right. a, a Breitbart story had run so that you could feel this thing growing. And then whenever it would reemerge in the mainstream, it would be Bigger and hotter, like because yeah. they were gotten angrier and angrier, and so I described this weird episode where John Carl says he has like an email of mine,
0: ABC News guy,
1: yeah, ABC News White House reporter, and he was describing the email chain the night before that Deputies Committee meeting, so the Friday night before the Saturday meeting where Susan's talking points were uh, ultimately done by Mike Morell, and. He, he said that I had weighed in on some interagency State Department, White House, others chain and said, we have to take into account all of the various equities, especially the State Departments. And, mm-hmm. and so the, 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 the theory, if you were a Benghazi enthusiast, was that we had put our thumb on the scale for the State Department and because we were trying to protect Hillary and they were the ones helping invent this video story. I remember this prompted hysteria and people attacking me and actually I had secret service protection of my home. And by the way, just can I make a tangent here, Tommy? Please, Like, I had fucking death threats against me for four years because of this type of stuff and secret service protection. Like, not getting served a red hen would have yeah. been like, a nice thing you didn't even get a cheese plate yeah yeah, out yeah like, uh, like relative to the, <laughs> like <laughs> the same people who are like talking about civility today yeah. were part of the enterprise that literally ensured that i had death threats and anybody doesn't believe me just go back and look at my mentions over the last few yeah. years so let's put the redhead thing in like some perspective here mm-hmm. like that would have been a polite that was a yes. polite way of yes, it was. Uh, compared to what i had to deal with, but like what i remember that was so crazy about it is that It would just so it keep so oh, so then on that story, so then I go back and I find my actual email Mm -hmm. and it doesn't say what John Carl reported. It said we have to protect all the equities, especially the investigation. So I'd said the opposite, I'd Mm -hmm. said like we have to prioritize the FBI and their investigation, not the State Department. But it showed that in bad faith, Republicans in Congress were literally leaking fake emails. They they basically invented because I don't think John Carl invented it. Like that's how off the rails this got, like that they were like inventing emails because when my email that they got didn't suit their narrative they're like well let's just change it and give it to john carl and he'll report it right that,
0: that person should be outed and, re- and
1: fired and fired and, right yeah. and, and by the time you correct it nobody cares nobody right cares. so when you put out the correction a couple days later all the people who are going to get whipped up into hysteria um are whipped up and and i'm just gonna rant finish my rant here this builds and builds. Like, this is how you get Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a politics where truth doesn't matter, all that matters is outrage, people are living in some hermetically sealed bubble and Fox and Infowars and Breitbart and all this stuff, just, just drinking the blood of this red meat, right? By the way, guess who steps into that? The Russians, because mm-hmm. they're like, who should we send our fake news to? Like, these people, they'll believe anything, yeah. right? I realized in writing the book that you can't understand Trump without, like, threading it through Benghazi. Yes. And the, the absurdity of it all... Because I want to, and I actually have a question for you in this. Um, I remember going to reporters and being like, Why are you guys covering this? Like, I you am know, too. there's nothing to it, right? Like, you know, that we didn't invent this story, you know, that like there was no stand down order. Like, I-, I could tell you mine, but like, wh- what would happen when you would ask a reporter that question?
0: There was just an unstoppable momentum to the story itself because of the churn that was happening uh, on the Hill because of the leaks that were probably coming out of Trey Gowdy's office, because there was some discordant uh, messaging coming out of the Pentagon and the CIA and and the state department. Um, And so I think that gave them a foothold into the story. And then when you really press them, they would concede to you. We know this is bullshit. We we know we're overdoing this, but it was like what everybody was talking about. So, It just, like, it was self-perpetuating. And, you know, I, I think your the book does an amazing job of tracing the arc of this kind of conspiracy theory in the Obama world. Yeah. Like, there was the forwarded emails that, yeah. you know, sort of, there's a direct line from that to here. And, like, look, I say this. I'm a gullible person. Yeah. Like, I remember my job the summer before college was painting houses. And I remember... The, my second day, the guy in charge is like, "Okay, I need you to paint like the the lats, the slats, and then this part, and then the dick fur, and then this." Yeah. The joke being, I'm supposed to say, "What's a dick fur?" and ha ha ha, right? Instead, I was like, "Okay, I'll paint that." That and the client comes out. And she's like, "What did you guys get done today?" I'm like, "Well, I got the, the windows and yeah. the Dick fur and blah blah yeah, blah." And the dude's yeah. like, "You fucking moron! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah, just yeah, repeated yeah. the joke. Yeah, yeah. So like, I'll just believe what I read. Yeah, so if yeah. I'm if I get a forwarded email, yeah. you're going to believe it. If you see something in a community, yeah. it's even worse. So if it's on Fox News or um, now it's like 4chan, Reddit, yeah, yeah. Uh, Breitbart, and so the Benghazi conspiracy theories have even been supercharged, like. If you want to freak yourself out, Google QAnon and read some stories about the latest yeah. right wing lunacy that is now bubbling up. And people are wearing QAnon shirts to Trump rallies. I mean, yeah, it's like yeah. it's gotten considerably worse in the Trump era.
1: Well, yeah. And if you think about it, like if you take the woman I met in West Virginia, for instance, who is, you know, I, let's take you're, you're, you know, you're an intelligent person and you're, but you're not following, like, you don't know how. What we were doing in Benghazi, right? Yeah. You don't, you don't know the history of like uh, how, just like cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad could set off violent protests in the Middle East, this video could, right? And then you wake up, and what's on Fox? It's like serious questions again about what the official version of events was on Benghazi. Like Ben Rhodes, fiction writer. Like let's go to like the guest who then is going to call. Susan Rice, like a liar, and then you turn on talk radio, and it's like, can you – someone yelling, like, these people made up this story to protect Obama. And then you go online, and you're reading Reddit threads about, like, you know, that there were jihadists from Syria that we were working with. and The Muslim
0: brother worked in the White House. Yeah, and and, and,
1: and you're consuming this month after month after month. Like, you're you're living in a world where this is true, and then – you know, there's credible reporters, the kind that would say to us, like, as you said, well, I'm covering it because it's a story, because they're yeah. talking about it. But that legitimizes it, too, because yep. then you've got, like, Sunday show host saying, like, on this week, Trey Gowdy to talk about his outrage about Benghazi. And suddenly, this seems this thing that is just, let's face it, like this tragedy that happened. The worst thing, probably, that you could say is that there wasn't enough security at that facility. Absolutely. And the worst thing you could say about Susan Rice's single Sunday of appearances is that there may or may not have been a spontaneous protest. It may have just been a violent protest. Like, did that, that spawn, like, four years of this industry? I know. Which led, you know, to the committee, which led to Hillary Clinton's email server, which maybe led to Donald Trump being president? Right. Is, is uh, uh you know... I mean, one question, I, what could we have done to stop that?
0: So uh, I, th- I think about that a lot, too. And, like, look, you know... It, this that Chris Stevens did not have enough security with him that yeah. day. He should have been better protected. The facilities that we're talking about that were attacked should have been better protected. It's probably worth considering uh whether our global force posture should be readjusted to add some places to get the like to get the time it takes to get a plane or yeah. a drone Which we did. to a facility, I, I did, right? Yeah. So like all those things, fair questions, fair critiques, should have been corrected. Um but the problem is, like, when you offer, you don't have an obligation, you don't have a choice during the Benghazi attacks, during the bin Laden operation. Uh, to withhold information from the press, yeah because it's leaking out from other places yeah. and you need to tell them the best information yeah. you know at and the that's time. such an
1: important point because people act like well you don't have to, to tell people anything we're being asked a million times a day like what do you think happened right. you know it's 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 not really tenable for like a couple weeks to say like we'll get back to you when this investigations
0: exactly done. and so like just to use the bin Laden operation as an example like John Brennan had been hunting Osama bin Laden for fifteen years he'd been stayed up for four days straight planning the operation, and the day after it went down we asked him to brief the press because he was one of like four people in the building who could. And he said that the special operators involved got in, a firefighter, got in a firefight and that Bin Laden used his wife as a human shield. Turns out there wasn't a firefight. There was some firing. There's some exchange of fire. And then another guy used his wife as a human shield. We corrected it. This weekend, there's a big story in the New York Times about John Brennan that references that incident and him getting it wrong. Now, yeah. it was a mistake made in good faith. It was yeah. corrected, but that is still thrown in his face. And yeah. I, I make this long point to say, when you admit something is wrong, sometimes in the press you get damaged more than Donald Trump, who still maintains That's that the fucking yeah. Central Park Five, yeah, 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 killed people and or and and rapists. Muslims celebrated on 9-11, 9-11 yeah, yeah. right? And like yeah. the cost to maintaining a That's lie is lower than yeah. correct being
1: man. in operating in good faith and being honest. Yeah, I mean, I uh, substantively I think you're right about the the diplomatic Security and the 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 the, the the trade off that is obviously nobody's going to talk about because it's not relevant to our politics is when we no longer, when we have a politics that, that sends a message that. If there's anybody harmed at a diplomatic facility, mm-hmm. unfortunately, that means our diplomats can't get out. I yeah. mean, it's a trade-off. I, th- I think, you know, Chris Stevens was the kind of guy who didn't want a lot of security because yeah. he wanted to engage people. Whatever yeah. he said about him was so great is he was out at restaurants. He spoke the language. He's brave as hell. He probably didn't want a big sec- And I'm not bl- – I, I know, I know. Let me just backwards say, like, this is not to blame him. This is to say there's a certain kind of diplomacy that takes place – that is harder if you're surrounded by ten armed guards, or you're in a compound with a moat. Yeah. Like uh, some of our best diplomats like to get out and be among people, and and they're often the people are most effective. And since Benghazi, there was a cost in that you know we're in less places, and we're like building higher walls around our facilities, and and that you know that's too bad. Now, a lot, a lot of important work has to happen at, at the place it is not your huge embassy. You exactly, know, um, exactly. Because you, you need to, to have be in, be in more places. Um, another thing I've also often reflected about is um, the, 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 the approach that a White House takes. What the Republicans took advantage of is that they knew that whenever there's an investigation of the White House, the White House doesn't like to just turn over all the documents up front mm-hmm. because there's precedent, right? And so it's like, if we set a precedent that, you know, that if Congress just asks for all the documents related to something, we'll turn over, they'll constantly ask for those things, and the president can't get, like, Mm -hmm. private advice, Mm -hmm. and blah, 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 which makes complete sense to me legally. Politically, it's part of what led to this scandal, because in retrospect, if we had just dumped everything out the first day, like, here's, yeah, sure, here's every email about this. I didn't, I don't don't feel bad about any email I sent, right? Yeah. Because there was this drama. This is part of why reporters cover it. There's this drama of like it takes subpoenas and years, and you know, they oh, they got a new tranche of documents, mm-hmm. and it, the Republicans are very good at hacking the Washington interest in an investigation and like, can they get these documents and can they get that? And the the truth of the matter was there was nothing embarrassing really in any of those documents, but there was still a drama to like them working their way up the train of getting the the chain of getting these documents.
0: Yeah. I think that's, I, I think that's right. And, and the battles we used to have with lawyers about what we could and couldn't say were, were frustrating on any number of levels. I, I also think though that there was not enough of a cost in the press, or a recognition of the lack of good faith in the yeah. arguments and the yeah. way they morphed over time, because it yeah. started with "oh, this must have been an attack on the anniversary," to a, ta- a conversation about talking points, to so all the crazy shit, to Hillary's server, and like no one ever said, "Hey, guys, I don't really think you're arguing this in good faith." <laughs> yeah, and this, it was just like yeah. the performance.
1: Yeah, and I mean, well, and they, uh, to end my piece of this story is in the book. I described my my appearance for the Benghazi committee. Almost four years later, and you know, and I'm sitting there in front of Trey Gowdy, and he slides me an email chain, and the email chain actually proves everything we just discussed because the subject line of the email was like U.S. government response to events in Egypt mm-hmm. and Libya, mm-hmm. and it was this you know email chain with all of you and all the communications people from the government on it, and somewhere like it was you know you start an email chain like that on one day and it lasts for days right because the right people are on it and you're communicating. And somewhere down that email chain, I had cut and pasted talking points about the video. And Gowdy's like, whole theory rests on because I'd done that on an email chain that the subject line was the U.S. government response to Egypt and Libya, I was, like, constructing the conspiracy theory when, in fact, that was part of our response. Like, we, we had a million things we were being asked different things, and here's the video piece, but there's other pieces. Right. And what, I, I'm sitting there thinking, like, this guy is not dumb. Like Trey Gowdy, is actually, he's not a dumb guy. He knows, he's known for years that this is not on the level. <laughs> you know, like he knows that, that he's cynically trying to establish a bad intent on the part of someone like me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that's what really, what's so weird about it is that you live in a universe where the press knows it's not on the level. The Republicans know it's not on the level. And yet, you know who doesn't know that? The person consuming Fox or Breitbart, yep, yep. right? And, and it's a kind of a failure, a breakdown of the filters in politics and media that are supposed to prevent tens of millions of people from being manipulated to believe something that's not true. And, and that, to me, is ultimately the story of like not just Benghazi, but how you get, get Trump.
0: Yeah. And people like Trey Gowdy don't care about the collateral damage uh, of destroying random individuals who yeah. work in the government's lives. I mean, yeah. you know the the IR the, the lowest learner non-scandal scandal, the Shirley Sharad scandal yeah. who was like a person who worked at the Department of Agriculture after a selectively edited video occurred, merge of her. I mean they these you know anyone can become a target. I mean I became a target during the Benghazi, you know, several year attacks because i decided to go on fox news one day,
1: dude once. It was yeah. a day, it
0: was, it was a day you were getting like particularly savage i yeah. think probably because this <laughs> fucking email came out and i yeah. went on fox news and i was answering questions for a while and finally i just got pissed and i said something stupid i was i said dude that was like two years ago
1: did you also change attacks to demonstrations in the talking points
0: uh, maybe i don't really remember you don't remember Dude, this was like two years ago. We're still talking about the Dude, most mundane it is the process. Thing that everybody so is talking about. We're talking about the process of editing talking points. That's what bureaucrats do all day long. Your, is, your producers edit the, scripts the
1: key part multiple is times. To demonst-
0: yeah, that was a terrible answer. I was mad in the moment, and I just let myself yeah, go it, off. Yeah. But like.
1: I, Actually, in the scale of the universe, saying "dude" is not like you know, but, as bad as is not offensive as constructing a lot. Absolutely,
0: in the Washington world yeah. of decorum and civility, saying "dude" is the worst thing you can do. Yeah. But in the reality world. Like, dude, give me a fucking break was yeah. probably the right answer yeah. to all these ongoing attacks from Fox News and everybody else. It was like a tragedy happened. Four people were killed. You don't care about protecting them or pretending this from happening again. You care about attacking Susan Rice so she can't get confirmed as Secretary of State. Well, and let me. You cynical fuck.
1: And let me even, like, just to, to weigh in on Dudegate here for a second. <laughs> dude me. Their criticism, when something like that would happen, right? You said, dude, suddenly they're the ones saying. Saying dude is disrespectful to the four Americans Yeah. right? Okay, number one, like, you have just spent, you, the people making that charge, years politicizing the deaths of those people. And now you're going to be lecturing us, you know, that we say – I mean, Uh, what's so offensive to me is that, like, their entire – Benghazi industry was an offense to the memories of those people. Well,
0: and, and I believe Chris Stevens' sister asked them not to politicize yes, him yeah. directly, and they just did.
1: They don't care, and so, and then they get on a high horse on something like that happens. You know, we were, we we felt the the loss of those people acutely, being in U.S. government, feeling some responsibility for their security, and the way in which these people would, when it suited them, you know, say that we weren't mm-hmm. sufficiently uh, mindful of the the tragedy that's taking place when they've basically taken that tragedy and turned it into an industry of outrage, yeah. dude, that is offensive. That is you offensive. Know, yeah.
0: Um, I, I remember when Obama went over and spoke to the state department in, in that like little courtyard to try yeah. to just
1: Bucket help everyone,
0: them yeah. get through this time. Yeah. I mean, you could see the human toll this took. I mean, I remember seeing, you know, state department, senior, senior staffers, who were tough as shit yeah. and served in all sorts of hardship places. So like uh, Bill Burns type guys. Yeah, and, crying, you yeah. know, and like broken by what had happened. And, um, you know, it's just, the whole thing just sucked.
1: It, yeah, well. Just,
0: um, did you convince the, what what happened with the woman in West Virginia? Where did she end up? Yeah,
1: so it's interesting. Um, so we had this whole conversation. And so first of all, when it, we finally reached the end and she said, you know, uh, well, if, if something horrible, if you guys, if some horrible thing other than the attack itself, but I mean, some horrible conspiracy theory wasn't true. Why why are these people saying this on Fox? You know, I said to her, I was like, look, you know, you don't like George Soros, I assume, because he spends a lot of money to influence politics. And she's like, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, it may be that there are a lot of people spending money on the other side to make you believe something about Benghazi, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so anyway, the next morning I wake up and I didn't know what to expect because I was sure that she would know who I was. You know, my name is in the registry and everything. Like, I don't know if I was going to walk downstairs and be killed. Or, yeah. Like, well, yeah. You know? uh, so I kind of took my time getting ready for breakfast. You know, I could kind of hear her. You know? And so I go downstairs, and she was the nicest person. She's like, Oh my God, I didn't know who you were. And I, I, I wish if I'd known who you were, I never would have said all those things. And I was like, No, no, actually, it was really interesting. Because yeah. again, I don't blame her. Like, she's been manipulated, she's been fed this diet of stuff. But then, uh, like everything else in America today, it was hilarious because she's like, my parents love you. They follow you on Twitter, you know? <laughs> they love to hate at you. Yeah, and... <laughs> yeah they, my parents like, they're, no, her parents are big liberals. Oh, that's and, good. And they're like, my parents want me to take a selfie and send it. To her, her parents are probably friends of the pod, you know? Yeah. It was this kind of microcosm of America where she's like this Trump person, you know, Fox person, and her parents are like these pod, probably pod people. And, and, um, and so, I take a selfie with her and everything. But, and she kept saying like, and this is actually probably a pretty good note to end on. She's like, you seem you're so nice she just kept saying to me like you're but you're and she looked was stunned because she really did know who i was and i said to her i'm like because for those who don't consume this like these people have painted a picture of me as this kind of like evil arrogant diabolical puppet master master guy And, and so she couldn't quite figure out that she's like you were so unassuming and you were respectful and even now like you're you know and i said to her, i was like you know, it's just human beings in these jobs, like yeah. trying to do the best we can. You know, like it. You, you never. I was like, please just stop and think that, like, there's a human being sitting there. You know, like me. Like, like you, we are dehumanized by this industry uh, that wants to turn us into something. And unfortunately, like, like to because to believe the things that that the kind of Benghazi theorists believed, you would have to believe that we are just. just like the worst fucking people in the world Mm -hmm. you know that we would like not send help to people invent a story and if you actually like like she was forced to actually see that that that's a person and this is your point trey gowdy never would do that like then you you can dehumanize the other side for your political ends
0: yeah i think the internet exacerbates this so much because i you know i am very mad online sometimes i can be uh rather caustic in my Twitter voice, but I'm sure if I, if we had this conversation with all of the people who tweet Benghazi conspiracy theories at us, I bet a big chunk of them would, would come out changed, whether they admit it or not.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's right, and um, uh, you know, I, I the, the one thing I will say, though, is that I don't believe that there's an equivalence here, right? You know, one of the things that bugs me is when people are like, oh, MSNBC and Fox, like mm-hmm. MSNBC doesn't do this. Yeah. <laughs> MSNBC doesn't spend years propagating a conspiracy theory, you know, or even like the red hen thing. Like, yeah, I do I think Sarah Sanders is a human being who like should be seen as a human being? Absolutely, right? Yeah, and too. it's unfortunate, like she didn't get served a red hen. But that is not equivalent to essentially trying to spend many years making shit up about people and <laughs> to destroying manufacturing their lives. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, look. This was. Any, anything else you want to get off your chest about this? No, this uh, is cathartic yeah, for this me. This is cathartic. <laughs> um, and uh, it, I will say the last. The weirdest thing is that Benghazi is an actual city. Yeah. We're hundred? Can you imagine being a resident? I've always thought about like what must it be like to actually be a resident of the city of Benghazi and the name of the place you live is this this yeah. thing, this like...
0: You can never hashtag anything. The word Benghazi, <laughs> like you
1: can't Google your own city because like, 900 stories about like Ben uh, Rhodes come up. You know, I know. Uh, I know. So uh, let's end this with like just a, a reminder too that Benghazi, an actual place full of people who are still struggling to emerge from the civil war and who deal with tragedies like what happened in Benghazi uh, with Americans all, all too often. So. That's right, that's right. All right, well, that was... That was uh, cathartic and worth doing, and again, hopefully illuminating, maybe of some of the broader trends in our politics.
0: We're human beings who fuck up too. (laughs) Yes, that too. Yeah, dude, come on. Come, dude.
1: Uh, All right, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. That was the last of my series on crooked conversations that looked at stories from the Obama White House. If you enjoyed these conversations, check out more stories like the ones you just heard covering a range of topics in my book, The World As It Is, where I deal with all 10 years of my time with President Obama, from joining his campaign as a relatively anonymous 29-year-old to walking out the door with him on his last day in office and flying out to California with him and Michelle Obama. Uh, And I cover everything in between. Uh, So I hope you'll pick up the book, The World As It Is. Uh, Really enjoyed seeing so many friends of the pod out at my events. Um, around the country and even around the world. Uh, And as always, there will be another Crooked Conversation next week hosted by the Crooked Media Contributor Network. Thanks so much.
0: Life is a highway.